Nothing in common, but there's trust. I'm like a minus, she's like a plus. One going up, one coming down. But we seem to land on common ground. Things go wrong, we make corrections. To get things going in the right direction. Try to fight it, but I'm telling you, Jack. It's useless. Opposites attract. This is the Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. And hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Chris Sheeran Show here on YesNetwork.com and the iTunes Podcast. You can subscribe to it. Don't forget, just go to iTunes Podcast, type in Chris Sheeran Show, and uh, you could listen to Lou and I every week in your car, on your smart device, wherever you feel the most comfortable uh, listening to us. And, um, you know, we promised you guys that we would do the MC Scat Cat uh, at the start of the show, and we keep our promises, ladies and gentlemen. This is a podcast that keeps its promises. Isn't that right, Lou? We do keep our promises, and there will be no... Oh, wait, sorry, I was going to politician. <laughs> yeah, we, we will not be We right. need someone who's completely unelectable. Yeah, in 2016. Anyone who watches Scandal will get that. Vote for none it. of the above. Monty Brewster. Vote for Quimby. Yeah, there you go, Simpsons. But anyway... Uh, I, you know, it's, it's good that we started the show with that little riff because we brought it up last week because of the one and only Brooklyn Nets. And once again, they have proved our point. They are the definition of two steps forward and one step back. They are the minus and there is no plus no, sometimes. No, there isn't. I mean, you go, they have the eight game road trip around the all-star break. They come out of the break, and they have some tough games lined up. They went to Houston, and if not for James Harden, who had a you know, pedestrian-type game with 15 points. He had a pedestrian-type game with 15 points, did James Harden. And he kind of caught fire in the fourth quarter. And then he got so mad, he kicked LeBron in the hey, hey. family jewels. Yes, he did. Kicked the king in the jewels. Anyway, sorry. The family jewels. <laughs> There's another one. Weird science. Anyway. Three. That's three. Keep yeah. Going. But 15. Markel Brown did a great job on him defensively. Mm-hmm. The last – one of the last possessions the Rockets had, it was he caught Markel off the ball. So the in under two minutes, the Rockets got a free throw in the ball, and that was game time right there. They, they, they hit the – Harden hit the foul shot. And then Harden, shake and baked Brown, hit a jumper in the lane, and that was that was it. It was academic after that. So the Nets could have beaten the Rockets. They could have. They didn't. It was another one of those tough-fought games that they could have won but lost, couldn't finish. And they did have a lead in that one in the fourth. They did. So then they go to Dallas the next night, which was Saturday. They beat the Mavs. They were up. I think by 10 in the fourth, almost lost that one. But they held on. They closed. They beat him. And Chandler, Great win. Chandler Parsons didn't play in that game, right? No, he didn't. <laughs> okay. Great win. Phenomenal win for the Nets. Then, looming coming home. Hey, Nets, here's your reward for coming home after that eight-game road trip. Thanks for doing that, by the way, so the circus could come to Brooklyn. I feel like I should sing a few bars of When the Circus Comes to Town by Los Lobos. Yeah, and when the elephants and tigers and... The clowns left, the Golden State Warriors arrived. And, you know, 
the Nets caught them, and I'm not taking anything away from that win, but it was a, it was the sixth game of their six-game road trip for the Warriors. <coughs> second half of a back-to-back, too, right? And a second yeah. half of a back-to-back where they just beat the Celtics. They were down by 20, and they came back and beat mm-hmm. the Celtics in Boston and then showed up in Brooklyn. And Steph Curry was having a pedestrian game over <laughs> the first three quarters. But you saw, you know, you might not see the Warriors every night because you don't have league pass. But the tri-state area was treated to exactly what Steph Curry is. And it doesn't matter if he stinks on ice for three quarters because that fourth quarter, he almost single-handedly brought the Warriors all the way back and won. But the Nets win. They got a little pep in their step. And you and I were texting back and forth during that fourth quarter a lot just about how ridiculous Steph Curry is. While you were sitting at the desk, right, waiting for the post game show, and I was, I said to you, "Here we go again. <laughs> it's another game that they should have won, and they're going to yep. lose, and they end yep. up hanging on." Jarrett Jack gets the the jumper to to fall, and the one thou wow shuffle down the court, and you know, and then that, and then gives Jimmy Spinarkle the best line of all time. Yes, you, you and Sarah could be like Regis and Kelly. <laughs> that was the best. I loved it. Michael Stray, I hope he wasn't watching. He was at the game, I think. I was wondering where Sarah was that whole game. Come to find out, obviously, she's she was under, under the, the weather. weather. Yeah, and she's a, she's a fighter. She was back at it a, on Wednesday. Yep. And I'm filling in for her on Sunday and Tuesday uh, at Barclays Center. So watch out for me, Jarrett Jack. I'll be there, too. And it's, uh, you, can, you can be the Gelman. Ugh. Gelman. <laughs> Gelman! Is she still on the show? I miss Oriema's impression of Regis. Regis! Yeah. Anyway. My wife, Joey, loves it. It's great! Oh, God. But getting back to the Nets. <laughs> um, I... our, our whole thing started with me, I think, texting you after, what, 72 hours after we produced this podcast. Right. Brooke Lopez doing exactly what you said exactly. he does. <laughs> taking 20-foot jumpers and nobody being there. Or the, I believe the particular play that, that brought to my attention was he's running a pick and roll, and he stands there, and I, I forget if it was Jack or, or Williams. He doesn't roll. He set the pick and then didn't roll. He just stood there. Somebody took an off-balance three-pointer. There was nobody around the basket, and it was an easy floorboard for the Warriors. Yeah, yeah. And that was, I believe, what started our back and forth during that fourth right. quarter. And I, I said it on Twitter, and, of course, our good buddy Devin Carperdian. I, I go back and forth with him. And, you know, he, he actually trumpets what I say about Brooke because – there's a little window in the shot clock. And if you haven't isolated this, Nets fans, do yourselves a favor. And in the games upcoming, they play the Suns tonight. They've got the Jazz on Sunday. They've got the Pelicans on Tuesday. It's the back end of their West Coast road trip. Right. Watch Brooke Lopez in these games. Watch how many 20-foot jump shots he takes when he comes in off the bench with 16 to 20 seconds left on the shot clock and no white jersey within five to seven feet of the rim. Just watch. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I sit there in amazement, especially when he comes in cold <laughs> off the bench. And then there are nights, you know, there are nights that Brooke, you know, the, the Nets bench has been playing ridiculous, and it's because of Brooke. He comes in and he scores 20 to 30 points. Mm-hmm. He paces the bench. He gives Lionel Hollins that punch that he needs off the pines. He's actually playing more minutes than Mason Plumlee. It's, yep. it's kind of like Brooke is starting. But what Brooke has to realize is he's seven feet tall. I sound like a broken record. And when he's three for ten in the third quarter and he continues to take those 20-foot J's mm-hmm. that are rimming out, that's when, you know, the seventh-year pro 
in him has to say, you know what? I got to roll to the basket. I got to. So Frank DeGrace, our producer, I don't know if you saw the post game that night. I did. Of course I did. You were doing it. But he, <clears throat> Frank asked him a great question about when he missed the layup and then missed again and then finally dunked it. And Frank pretty much asked him, did you just get so frustrated that you threw it down because, you know, you, you're really not authoritative down there? It was something along those lines. And Brooke laughed at him. I said, yeah, I guess I just dunked it because I was angry. All shucks. And, and then he starts laughing, and Frank says, well, why are you laughing? And I agreed with Frank. You're seven feet tall. And even Jim Spinarco <laughs> brought it up on the air mm-hmm. right after he did it, and he said this is what he has to do when he's close to the rim. Yeah. He's got to go up strong. As opposed to, was it Azeli, I believe, in the fourth quarter? Festus. Somebody missed a layup, and he came out of nowhere like, oh, like, yeah. like Isaiah Ryder. Yeah. And just slammed wow, it home. you brought Isaiah Ryder I did. Back. East Bay Funk Dunk, dog. He just, I mean, he just jumped out of nowhere, jumped out the gym, and slammed it home. And even Ian was like, well, there it is. Like, I mean, he, he got excited about it because it, it, it was a highlight play. And, and since Al Jefferson's been in the league, Brooke Lopez can't guard that guy. Did you watch the Hornets game? I mean, I'll be honest with you. I didn't watch that whole game. I, I wasn't working that night. It was Nancy. And when I turned it on, it was 31-8 mm-hmm. Hornets. So I was pretty much out there. I, I think I turned it on shortly thereafter, and then it was like, hey, Survivor's on. Yeah, I, so, watched, uh, yeah. I watched a, a stretch in the second quarter where the Nets cut the lead right before the half to 12. And I said, okay, they went on a run. The lead's down to 12. It was like 30. So they got it down to 12. Let me let me let me check in here in the in the third quarter. 14-3 run by the Hornets. Yep. See you later. No, I did see it. I, I I will admit that I do the uh I don't get it though. I do a majority of my Brooklyn Nets viewing upon the replays in the mornings when I'm here at work. The team with is yes just, on and you know, I kind of break it down and get to study and, mm-hmm. and see what, what happens more so than I could on my couch while I'm distracted by, you know, a million other things. Right. And uh yeah, again, Two steps forward, almost beat the Rockets, beat the Mavs. Beat you know, the Warriors. They beat the Warriors, and then all of a sudden they come out and play like that. And you can't sleep on the Pacers right now. Nope. They might get Paul George back. And with George Hill in the lineup, they're 11-3. And, and the, the Nets are currently a game out. Is that right? Is they that are still, in 10th place still accurate? now. They are in 10th place now. They are behind the Hornets, who they just lost to. And the season series with them is 1-1. If they beat the Hornets, they would have had the tiebreaker with them. But yep. that goes out the window. They still got another game with As you Charlotte. say, they do play them one more time. One so. more time. Uh, they do play the Pacers as well. The Nets have the hardest schedule yeah. down the stretch. But they also have the Hawks, teams. the Pelicans, right. the, you know. Right. The crime of the crime. They, they played two lost, more at the Cavs and Bulls. They lost to New Orleans without Ryan Anderson, without Anthony Davis, without Drew Holiday. They've got them on Tuesday. Again. Again. They've got the Jazz. So I went. Again. They got the Jazz on Sunday. Okay. The Jazz beat the Nets by, I think, 30? 30, 35 in Utah 35 on a snowy Saturday in night. Utah. They beat the Nets by 35 in Utah. This is a team that's not going to the playoffs. But you know what? They ball, especially when they play the Nets. Ball by the don't way. lie, son. And on and tonight, Friday, as we tape this, a day late, and we apologize for that. Weather delays. Weather. Hopefully, it's over. I saw it next week, forties. Mm-hmm. Yep. All week long, maybe we get rid of some of the snow too. But tonight, they have a, a Suns team that, if they were in the East, would not only be in the playoffs. They'd be like the six seed. They'd be the six seed. Yeah. 
In the East. Yeah. We talked about this a few weeks ago when right. we did the one, the one through 16 right. straight up seeding that right. the East wouldn't lose two, maybe three teams. But the Suns are in the same position the Nets are in, but in the Western Conference with a better, with, I think they have 10 more wins than the Nets. I was going to say, I think they have 33. 33, 34, yeah, something, something like, like that. But golly, I mean, I don't know how, but I tweeted this out right after the game ended against the Hornets. I said, if you've been watching this Nets team all season, tonight does not shock you in the least. And it can't because it's not maybe this is what this team is. This is what this team is. If they let, let me put it to you this way. If they use the the I don't know if the D League still uses the system, but I know they do it in the Orlando Summer League. If they use the Orlando Summer League point system where you get points for winning quarters, right. the Brooklyn Nets would be the number one seed in the NBA if they only used the first quarter point system. Yeah. Because they, they shoot fifty one they shoot percent. 50% in the first quarter. They've probably won the first quarter. Uh, without even looking at it, I would probably say 45 out of 60 times they've played this season. They've probably won the, the first quarter. They shot 70-some percent again the other night. Against Golden State. Against Golden State. It's, it's, it's a, a lot like two years ago. when and they if they first, didn't have that first quarter, they would have got blown out. They would have got blown out. It's a lot like two years ago where they would play well in the first quarter, and then the second quarter the reserves would come in, the Reggie Evans. Right. Um Led squad Sean. I don't know. If, I don't remember if it was Sean Livingston. I think it was whoever was before him as the backup point guard. C.J. Watson. C.J. Watson. That that group in 2012, 13, mm-hmm. and they would get obliterated in the second quarter, yeah. and then they'd have to fight back at half. There's always some kind of thread like that with this team. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 listen. And Lopez had those twenty something points on what do we say six for seventeen shooting right again? And that's you know he, he puts up the you know the over twenty. But I'm telling you right now, and I looked at the numbers against Golden State, Brooke Lopez could have scored 40. I think he scored 22. I think I texted that to you. If he's a center with 17 shots, he better have 30 points. Right, right. We we were texting back and forth. And after you texted me, I looked and I said, you know, if if he got next to the basket and had some kind of post presence, he would have had 40. Easy. Which is why he had 23 points and four rebounds, which is what Andre Iguodala had. And did you... uh, this is the other thing that got me so ticked off, and I'm going to be in the locker room. I hope Brooke doesn't listen to this podcast because he's not going to talk to me. I don't like you. But he, he was putting the ball on the floor from the top of the key. Look, that is a post move. They mm-hmm. teach you that. You get the ball at the top of the key, use your pivot foot, face the basket, maybe fake a jump shot, dribble to your left or your right, and get to the rim. But he's seven feet tall. And he's going up against guys who are not seven feet tall. It was a little smaller against against the Warriors and mm-hmm. the Hornets. Ball's getting knocked away. Yeah. I looked last night at Nico Miritich for the Bulls. Dude took sixteen free throws. Sixteen. Yeah. I don't think the Nets took sixteen total in the game against the Warriors. <laughs> Sha- Shaquille O'Neal could. Could put up a good line getting to the free throw line 16 times. I'm sure anyone could. He was 14 of 16 from the line. He's seven feet tall. Yeah. You know why? He could shoot from. He could shoot threes too. You know why though? Because he gets inside. Mm-hmm. He doesn't settle for 20 foot jump shots. He doesn't pick and pop. I, I just now again. Here's the thing, and and this goes to, into that the the Miritich thing as well as you know you in football. 
if you can't run the ball, they're going to put eight in the box. And if you can run the ball, you know, it's going to be more effective for your passing. Everything, right. Everything's cyclical. Right. If Brooke Lopez was getting inside, was dominant in the paint, oh, God. and then went out and decided to be Dirk Nowitzki, he'd be a very dangerous player. But when you consistently keep doing something, he's not Sam Perkins, and what are who the, was just a random freak who could hit three-pointers and, what are and nothing the Nets, else. What are the Nets based what, at the beginning of the season when they had Mears at two? What were they based on? Their perimeter game. Yeah. You know, Bogdanovich, Toledovich. Bogdanovich, Toledovich, Williams, even Jack. I mean, Jack came in last year with 40% from three, so you have to count him. He's having an off year from downtown this year, mm-hmm. but he's hit some big ones. Allen Anderson. They have guys from the perimeter that if you establish that inside game, and now they have Thaddeus Young stretching the floor even mm-hmm. more because now you have to watch him. And Thaddeus has that, he has that IQ. You know, he's inside. He can make those little runners, the little jumpers, to loosen up the defense on him. And then all of a sudden, he's getting a pass. He's on the wing. He's hitting a three. You know what he is? You know what Thaddeus Young is? He's the same kind of player that Egodala was a few years ago when he was a little younger and could jump out of the gym. Right. He's the same kind of player people consider Michael Kidd Gilchrist to be. Mm-hmm. He's never going to be a guy who averages 20 points a game. No. He's never going to be a six foot eight, six foot nine forward who averages 10 rebounds a game. He's going to be a guy who gives you 15, five or six boards, three assists, a steal or two, hustle. can block a shot. His entire hustle board, across the, he's, he's a stat sheet filler. Yeah. Across the board, he does everything pretty good to very well. Mm-hmm. He's a great asset for any team. A player like that is a great asset for any team to have. And if you've noticed, one thing, the difference already between him and Kevin Garnett being on this team, Brooke Lopez and Mason Plumlee have played about eight minutes together in the last two weeks. When they would play eight minutes a game minimum together when Kevin Garnett was around because they had nobody else and KG was playing 15 minutes a game. Right. And let me, let it, me. It, it helps the offense flow better. And maybe that's why Lopez has become so happy, for lack of a better word, to take these big shots is that he's on the floor with Plumlee. Plumlee's doing this, that, the other thing. Maybe he steps out, tries to take a little bit more on. He doesn't have to do that anymore. Well, I, I want to make one thing perfectly clear. I like Brooke Lopez as a player. I do. I do. I think he's a, a gifted, talented, tremendous shooting seven-footer. I just wish – because he's so th- – this is why I get so upset. Because he is so talented. And he can do these things. But it just seems to elude him when he gets the ball – it's that elbow extended mm-hmm. jump shot right inside the three point line. And if I had any hair left, I'd be ripping it out, especially if I was a Nets fan. And again, I root for the team because it's good for business. But every time I watch these, it's so hard to sit. Like, I, I grew up with Patrick Ewing. Okay? Mm-hmm. Did Patrick Ewing. Now, look, he was probably. In my eyes, one of the best jump-shooting seven-footers, not jump-shooting, but, you know, jump shot that I've seen in my life. He hit that, that like, the the side-of-the-key jumper was his domain. The turnaround, the little pivot foot turnaround fadeaway jump shot. From the side of the 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 key. Exactly, Mm -hmm. right on the baseline. That was Ewing's domain. But that's not all he did. Ewing got to the basket. There were plays for him to 
get to the hole. He posted up on the low block. Mm-hmm. I used to practice that shot in the gym. That, you know, getting the ball down low, feeling the body behind you, and then just using your pivot foot to drop back that and was take a, that fade That away. was a horse and around the world staple on oh, yeah. Terrace when I was a kid. Absolutely. That Ewing shot. I'm so happy to hear you say that because I did the same yep. thing. That was a staple of our games of horse and around the world. But again, it was from 10 to 13 feet away. Yep. You know, maybe – and it, listen, if he – Moves that jump shot in just a little bit, and then they have to respect that and come out on them. Then, as soon as they come out, then make the fake and try to get around them. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier to get and to the you basket. Don't, you don't have to get all the way to the basket. But he's so long. It'd be one step and throwing it down. What's well, that Azeli dunk again? He's such a long guy that he came out of nowhere and just grabbed it above everyone and put it down. Look, I didn't play past high school. I'm not going to sit here and say I'm a basketball guru. Right. Um, but I think I know a little bit about the game. And I think a lot of Nets fans out there think the same way I think, is that this guy could be so special. And I know he's had problems with injuries. And maybe he's hesitant to bang down low. Because he's afraid of getting hurt again? Maybe. Maybe that's part of it. They call me Mr. Glass. Maybe <laughs> Glass Joe. Um, maybe he doesn't want to do anything but take those jump shots. It's safe. He's on the floor. He doesn't want to leave again. Who knows? But if you're out there and you're playing scared, it's not good. It, you, you shouldn't be playing. I I know you watch a lot of basketball and have for a long time. I I too. Udonis Haslam has never been a marquee player. But look at how great he became alongside Shaq, doing Shaq's yeah. dirty work. Now, flash forward that a handful of years, and look at how great Reggie Evans was in Brooklyn, because that was his role. He was Brook Lopez's dirty work. boards, right. He was Brook Lopez's dirty And when they moved him into the starting lineup ahead of Humphreys, uh, when P.J. did that midseason mm-hmm. in, in the first year in Brooklyn, he was consistently double figures in boards because he was doing Brooke Lopez's dirty work. Sometimes early second quarter. There is no one on this team doing that. No. There is no Reggie Evans. Kevin Garnett's best role while he was with this team the last four months probably should have been that. Mm-hmm. He should have been down low doing Brooke Lopez's dirty work while they were on the floor together. But he, unlike Reggie Evans, had enough of a scoring touch where he's going to get you 8, 10 points a game just based on offensive rebounds and his ability to once in a while be that Kevin Garnett of old and put the ball in the hole from anywhere on the Markel floor. Markel Brown is out-rebounding Brooke Lopez. Chew, well, chew like said, on that for a little Andre bit. Andre Iguodala had four rebounds the other night. Chew on that. And played 19 minutes. Yes, I, it, it's, it's frustrating because he is such a talented player. I completely get that. If there was someone to do the Charlie work, so to speak, if you're an always sunny Philadelphia fan, if there was someone to do the Charlie work down low, it might not be as glaring of a situation. Because then you would have somebody who knows his job is, I he's stepping, I'm fetching. To put it in an Amos and Andy routine uh, minute there. You know what I mean? He's, he's the guy that's down there just doing the dirty work, th- throwing the elbow, grabbing the board, facilitating once he gets it. So that Lopez can work on that outer jump shot. And yes, maybe he needs to move it in a little bit. But maybe it wouldn't be such a glaring 
situation if there was someone on the team filling the other half of that role. Brooke, I love you. I just I, I want you to. He's a Stanford guy. He's a smart guy. I, I want you to change your game a little bit. And and his he, brother hates mascots. Though. And he loves to follow that on Twitter. He loves the comic books. Yeah. Do you follow that? On, do you follow that I don't. scenario? On Twitter? I do not. I think it's a running joke at this point, and you you could probably ask him about it because he uh-huh. might know. But it seems like Robin gets into uh, gets into hairy situations with all the mascots in the Western Conference. I'm pretty sure it's a running joke at this point. Like the first couple, it was like, "Oh, what's going on here?" And now it's like, mm. you know, Robin Lopez beats up mascots kind of thing. It's funny, haha. But it's it's pretty cool if you follow that whole thing. I'll have to get in the, on that the Twitter. I wonder if he uh, would punch out Otto for me if he ever got the chance. <laughs> Ding. Otto the orange, of course. Um, Transition. Yeah, he liked that segue. And it was natural because I didn't know you were going there with the mascots. But mm. I felt it. I read it. I go with it. Anyway. You could have had the also, you could have had the Simpsons reference if you think that some people look like, think that the Lopez's look a little bit like Sideshow Bob. Absolutely. With the, with the crazy hair. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I always called, I, you know who I called Sideshow Bob? Hey, Bart, dude. Sideshow Bob is Varajal. Yes. That dude. He's got the Sideshow Bob hair. Looks exactly like <laughs> I would love Varajal so much more if he wasn't on my fantasy team and getting hurt all the time. Yeah, yeah. But. Cavs are doing well. Cavs are doing well. Yeah. It's amazing. And Spe- isn't it amazing? Yeah. Speaking of which, Ray Allen decided not to join him. Good. Yeah. Let's make a mockery even further of the regulars. It's, that's worse than the 40-man rosters expansion in September in baseball, but we'll, that's another well, that, story for another time. That, that's gone, right? You can't join a team now and be oh, postseason eligible. You can. It's, there's a certain date. I thought it was March 1st. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but Ray Allen decided he's not going to play this year. I so. saw that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's stupid. All right. Let's go back to Syracuse. <sighs> All right. I, I, uh, serenity now, Jerry. Serenity now. Um Syracuse imposed their own self-ban from conference tournament play and tournament play this season. Um, Violations that stem back to 2001. Uh, Not quite sure exactly what the violations are. I think they were paying players. Too much ZD? Can Uh, I bring that one up? Just throw that in there again? But, okay, so the NCAA comes in. Excuse me. They're going to suspend Jim Beheim for nine games. Which I'm guessing is the remainder of their schedule and then a handful of useless games next season since they're not I guess, playing tournaments. I guess. So it's a useless nine-game suspension yeah, what are they, for two, Bayheim. Two games left before the ACC tournament? Right, and then it'll be the first seven games next year who are against... Yeah, Holy Cross, Marist, LeMoyne. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the College of the Incarnate Word might be on there. That suspension is a joke. It's a freaking joke. Now... They did lose 12 scholarships, three a year, for four years. Okay? Which, Fine. to a team like Syracuse, is big. Is big. I'll admit that's big. But here's my problem. The only ban from postseason play has been their own self-imposed ban in a year where they probably weren't going to do anything. Yeah, they were most likely NIT-bound. So, how is that punishment? How is that punishment? And I know they have one of the top recruiting classes coming in, and those kids might decommit, and they're probably allowed to do that because of what's going on. Yeah. But why would they? They're not postseason ineligible. Right. So why not come to Syracuse? You're going to lose the three scholarships a year, but you're going to keep the the kids who are coming in, aren't you? But for a team like that, does that now – 
this is the weird thing about the landscape of college basketball. There are teams that would be ridiculously hurt by this, losing three scholarships. Teams like Butler back in the day who were 10 deep. The Auburn team with Chris Morris and those guys that would bring in an entire wave of subs. Like Kentucky this year. UConn would be hurt by this. Now with the landscape of college basketball, like if you did this to Kentucky, it wouldn't even register. All right, we'll just go out and get more one-and-dones. We just get three less. So we don't right. get we don't get the Daniel Ortons who stay for so, two years. So instead of having ten guys on your roster, yeah, you have eight. You have eight, and you keep one guy around and say, "Look, I know you're here long term. We don't have a scholarship this year, but we'll put you on next year. You know, make a little backdoor deal because it's the NCAA. You know what's happening. But you know, is Syracuse now going to go out and recruit three Carmelo Anthony's next year? Because well, we're losing scholarships. So we got to fill, you know, what we got next year. You go. We can move somebody up. Right. Loopholes. You know. There's loopholes, and they're not banned from the postseason. Right. So who's not going to – who's going to decommit? Yeah, who cares? It's a it's a baloney, yeah. <laughs> another B word, um, penalty. Yeah. It is. You got to pay for – they'll, they'll give them, you know, they'll give these kids an academic – a half-academic scholarship – so they only have to pay half of what it costs to go to Syracuse oh, for a year. Oh, and then I forgot. Go I forgot. They're also on probation for five years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> double secret probation? Yes. Is Dean, is Dean on, Wormer lording over this? They're on double secret probation. Um, How's it feel to be an independent show, Double Steve? secret probation, sir? I made it up. Um, I, I don't know. It, it just it ticks me off to no end. You know, it just seems like there's different rules for different schools. And this guy is the um, longest tenured coach in Division One at this point. And it's not just the basketball. It's the yeah. football program, too. They were hit. Yeah. But it's not like the football program is going to be playing for the national championship anytime soon. No, they, they weren't very – they were average this year, and they're getting much better. They can have their head coach back now that he decided to quit the Bills, though. I, I don't know. Everybody who has listened to this for the past, I don't know, six years knows of my disdain for the University of Syracuse. And it stems back into my high school days. And it just, to no, to no end, continues to irritate me worse than my IBS, really. And I know that was a little personal, but... There's a lot of things, you know... At least I could take something for my IBS. I can't take anything for the agita that the orange keep causing. You could also tap into the SNL and get yourself a package of oops, I crap my pants. And it doesn't, it doesn't um, help that I'm a St. John's fan. And I know they're not in the conference anymore, the same conference, but they were for a very long time. And to know that since 2001 to, I think it was 2012, when these violations were taking place, or 2008, something like that... <laughs> They were in the Big East. It's kind of weird how... And my St. John's teams, who were destroyed about mm-hmm. academics, academics, they, Norm Roberts brought the program back to, to a place where they were graduating kids. They weren't winning basketball games, though. They were destroyed. While Syracuse is, you know, having these infractions and making the damn tournament. Has St. John, other than Mo Harkless, has St. John's had a draft pick since our test? I know Harkless went 13th, I think, overall to Orlando Magic? a few years yeah. ago. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think Maybe so. Maybe one thrown in there, second round or something. Last year. Omar, what's his name? Who was the, it? Uh, no, last year there was somebody, and I can't remember Omar now. Cook? No, that's going back a couple years. 
someone someone was taken. Was it Harkless that I'm thinking of? It might have been Harkless. Yeah, I think it was that was 2012 12 or 13. Or yeah, 13. Yeah, and he went to the Magic. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember that. And and if he stayed, because I remember I remember that specifically because being what I do here at YesNetwork.com, being at the draft, I wrote an article for us about the local kid getting drafted. Right. You know, even though it was by the Magic, but that's it, it's 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 a testament to how ridiculous college basketball is. You know, the NBA could change a lot of this by going to the NFL rule and saying you got to be three years out of high school. Yeah, I, listen, don't get me wrong. I, I read a story about um, Ryan Boatwright mm-hmm. and how he grew up in a, in a bad area and his parents weren't in a good situation and he dodged a lot of bullets, not yeah. literal, but, you know, when he's growing up, he just didn't have a good childhood. And his plan was to get to UConn, do the one year, and if you remember when he came in, they had the, the sanctions, they couldn't play in postseason tournament play. Mm-hmm. Calhoun recruited him, then Calhoun left. But when he came to UConn, he was basically planning on one and done. He said, my education, I want to get it, and it'll be there whenever I want to do it. He got hurt, right? That first year, he hurt his ankle? And plans changed. Yeah. And he stayed in school. Last night was senior night. They lost to Memphis. But he said before that game, you know, everything that happened, you know, I was really thinking of doing the one and done thing because I wanted to get to the NBA and I wanted to take care of my family. I wanted to. I wanted to get them out of that situation. And I get it. I do. Mm-hmm. I can't fault a kid who's that talented to maybe get drafted. And if someone comes to you, and you're Ryan Boatwright, going into UConn your freshman year, and you have an NBA scout or someone get in your ear and say, "Hey, listen, all you gotta do is play one year." You're a lottery pick, kid. You're a lottery pick. That's you know that doesn't happen. You know, and then if he goes out there and blows his knee out in his sophomore, I get it. I get all of that stuff. I'm not saying kids should do the one and done thing. And I've said on this podcast before that I'm against it. I'd rather them get an education so they have something to fall back on because there are so many players. You saw that 30 for 30 mm-hmm. that make all this money and then it's all gone. How's, we, how's and, Alan Iverson doing? And we talked about the other end of that a few weeks ago with the whole you know, interdisciplinary major and the, the other ways things get better. We talked about the whole thing. How, how's Alan I How much money? Did he, like, I don't know. I haven't Close been, to $200 million he made, and it's gone. I haven't been to the Borgata lately, so I haven't seen anyone who's seen him there. He was playing for the Philadelphia Kicks. He, he played for two games. Yeah. They gave him 10000 a game. To play indoor soccer. To play indoor soccer. Because he's Alan Iverson. Right. How many years did he go to Georgetown? Two? 95, 96... Yeah, I think so. Two years. So what does he have to fall back on? Nothing. Bunch of bunch of really expensive gen ed classes. And and he said, you know, it was his hangers on and his boys that he took care of the whole time he was in the NBA are the ones that kept him alive and kept him, you know, pretty much on the right path. So that's why he took care of all of them. They taking care of him now? No. Same situation with Michael Vick and the dogfighting thing. That was all his boys, you know, and he was bankrolling it. it it's it's the way it works. Um, I mean, you know, it, it's – there's a lot of things that could be changed, a lot of things that could be done, but they aren't. And I maybe give... it's going to take five – maybe it's going to take a Fab Five. I know Kentucky has a Fab Five almost every year. Five. Fab 10 this year. Maybe it's going to take a Fab 5 going, you know what, we're all from upstate New York. 
We're going to be a Fab Five. Let's go to Niagara and win a national championship because we're better than everyone on that team. We're going to start as freshmen anyway. And then you get the, you know, you look at teams like that that have won that and the, the guys that were. sell, Niagara. Yeah, yeah, but you know what I mean. Like a team like I that. I know where you're going. Yeah. You know, then you get the, the Melchionis of the world who would be starting there normally who are now the six man. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and you go from there. Maybe it's going to take that. I don't know. I think it diminishes college basketball, too. And I'm such a fan of college basketball. And that tournament, I am glued to the TV from noon until it's over. There's nothing like it. And I, the talent that these kids have that are one and done, it just takes away. Michael Jordan, look at him. Cut from his high school team. How many years was he at North Carolina? Three or four. Three or four. But the talent level. And 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 he and he wins the 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 national title against Georgetown. He hits the game winning shot. Mm-hmm. Just I mean, how many years were Clyde Drexler and Akeem Olajuwon in Houston? Quattro. Exactly. Went to three Final Fours. But it's I it's all about the money. And I can't sit here and say I don't get it. I get it. You know what? I didn't grow up with a silver spoon in my mouth too. So if I was a highly touted five-star blue-chip prospect Mm -hmm. who can make my parents' life better, I would think about it too. And I would reassure them and say, look, I'm going to make all this money. I'll go back to school when I'm done playing ball. I want to take care of you and dad and everybody in my family. I get that. Mm -hmm. I get it. And with basketball, it's the clearly the least expensive sport to pick up as a, as a child who's in that situation. At least, what are balls, like 20, yeah. 20 bucks? You need, you need a basketball, a milk crate, and a nail. That's it. In reality. That's it. And your dad to measure 10, 10 feet. 10 feet. And 15 for the foul line. And a piece of chalk. That's it. Yeah. That's all you need. Skiing. I never got into skiing because skiing is so super expensive. My nephew plays hockey. and Hockey? My, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law probably pay more Per year for him to play hockey, even than baseball. I paid, then I paid to play little league for five years. Baseball's expensive, football's expensive, basketball isn't. You know there there are goals everywhere. Mm-hmm. All you need is twenty bucks. Get a ball, go to the goal. Yep. Kenny chip, Kenny Anderson chip in with a bunch of your friends and get a basketball. And if you're going to play right. together all the time, there you go. Right. Kenny Anderson was on with us on the pregame show a couple months back, and there's a story about him. I think it was. Uh, this the, was this was a flashback Friday feature. Yeah, the right? jet. The Kenny Anderson, the jet. Kenny Smith. Kenny Smith. Kenny Smith and Kenny and 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 um, Kenny. Am I right here? Kenny Anderson. Nets. Yeah, Georgia Tech. Yeah, I'm yeah. Losing my mind. Number seven. Anyway, Kenny so Kenny Anderson and Kenny Smith lived in the same building. Growing up, Kenny Smith said, one in the morning, I would hear a ball dribbling outside my window. It was Kenny Anderson shooting at a basketball goal with no net, working on his game. And Kenny Anderson said Kenny Smith pushed him because he knew how good he was, and he wanted to be just as good as he was. It's like that scene in the beginning of Space Jam where the fictional young Michael Jordan's out playing Basketball in the driveway until all hours of the night because 
that's what he loves and that's what he wants to be good yeah, at. Yeah, and back then... <laughs> I guess that counts as another ding. There was Atari. You know, it's not like you were sitting inside playing robot football. Yeah. Back then, when I was growing up, that's what we did. My, my friend Don and I, who, who uh, he won two state championships in high school. I was on one of the teams. And I started my broadcast career my senior year because my coach told me I wasn't going to play my senior year. So, okay, I might as well broadcast the games instead of sitting on the bench and do something constructive. But Don and I, we played together on the same team since third grade all the way through high school. If it snowed, we went down to Leonard Dean Park, Shine Fine Park, with shovels. We shoveled the snow off the, the big bass because they had the eight-footers and the ten-footers. We shoveled the snow off and brought a broom and swept the water. Ball was still soaking wet. Our hands were black with dirt from playing on the wet blacktop. But that's what we did. We didn't sit inside on our phones. We didn't have <coughs> iPads. Yeah. It was go out, play with your friends, get better at what you do. Now, Don went to Drew, played basketball there. It stopped after that. But he was so good. So good. You know, you grow up with him. He was just the ball handling when he was in fourth grade was high school level. He had a goal in his backyard, and that's all he did. It's mm -hmm. all he did. These kids, you know, most of them, they don't do that. There's too many other distractions now. You know what? I, I'm seven years younger than you. Mm -hmm. You were born in 73. Three. So I'm seven-ish seven years younger than you. Yeah. I had Nintendo when I was a kid. I had I Sega Genesis. Yeah. I had, you know, my friends did it too. We had, in my neighborhood, I, I grew up in a, a neighborhood that was kind of like a, the main road, main highway was down at the end of my street. We had two streets going, you know, from the main highway to my street. My street going perpendicular and another street in the middle and then a hill. It was basically like a five-street little cul-de-sac kind of thing. Mm -hmm. We had, ranging from three years older than me to three years younger than me in terms of schooling, mm -hmm. 15, 16 kids. You know, my best friends growing up were three brothers who were my age, a year older and three years older, had kid at the other end of the street is a year older than me and his little brother is two years younger, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Handful of families all had boys. Same situation in my neighborhood. The, the, my buddy Sam at the end of the street had his garage burned down when mm -hmm. he was young. Instead of rebuilding it, they had the concrete slab there. We put a basketball hoop up. We would play basketball there all the time. And then my next door neighbor on the other side at this end of the street, they had littler kids, but they had a basketball hoop in their driveway. And we'd play there once in a while, you know, we'd, we'd get them in and we'd play, you know, a couple of little kids against each other and a couple of the big kids against each other and kind of, you know, mess around. We had a field behind the, my street. There was a house on like the corner before it went up the hill. Mm -hmm. Giant field, probably 250 feet from home plate to the fences separating the houses on the street perpendicular to mine. All summer, nine o'clock in the morning, we'd be out there playing baseball, go home at one o'clock for lunch, come back at 2.30, play until five or six, go home for dinner, and sometimes if we were in the middle of a game after dinner, we'd come back and finish it. If we got All day long. If we got released from school because of snow early, it was right to yep. the park. Yep. And we played football in the snow. We did, the, when I was going to say, in the winter when it was snow, we would play football in that same field. We'd play basketball in the driveways or on the, my friend's, you know, 
garage slab when you the name show was it, going? We played it. Basketball, yeah. soccer, football, baseball. Touch football in the street. Touch football in the street. We had it was telephone pole to yeah. telephone pole. I can't tell you how many the, the people that lived across the street from me. I lived on the T of our streets. Mm-hmm. People that lived across the street on the right hand side, if you're looking out uh, on my street, I couldn't. I went to kindergarten with their grand. They were all old, older. Mm-hmm. Couple went to kindergarten with their granddaughter who lived across town with their their son and all. knew you know knew her knew them because they knew we were all her age. Mm-hmm. Can't tell you how many they had these little like foot high shrubs like in their yard. Can't tell you how many of those we destroyed with errant <laughs> footballs, tennis you know playing catch and the tennis ball goes in there. Anything I couldn't tell you how many of those they destroyed. And you know what? They were just like ah, eh, it's kids being kids. We live on a street with a bunch of kids. Like they were. You know, they'd come out and say, hey, they were never like, you kids, get off my, you know. Uh, well, Nowadays, they'd sue you for see, destroying we, property. But that was the things we did growing up. We'd play touch football in the street from telephone pole to telephone pole. Yeah, that's what we We'd did. play baseball and or football in the Stick field. Ball. Basketball. Stickball. Stickball. And then a little later on in, in life, when we got older and the field was too small, <laughs> there, was a, uh, there was another down, the next street over was in a separate town, actually, because uh-huh. we were right on the town line. The next street over was the same way. It was one street and then one going down. They were dead ends. And at the end was a big, giant, like, old rock quarry that had been cleared out and was now just a field. Uh, and we played baseball and football there. Yeah. Because it was bigger. You're bringing back all these memories for me now. My parents' side yard was lined with sticker bushes. Okay? Mm-hmm. And there were, there were roots on the side yard from these gigantic trees we had. So we used to play tackle football over there. Oof. And we used to, like... The sticker bushes were basically out of bounds, so you would slide into the sticker bushes. I could still remember. And and we had a little, like, landscaped area with plants in the middle that were surrounded by rocks. It was in the middle of the field. It was like Monument Park being in center field. It was. So we played tackle football there. We had one of the best wiffle ball fields on the planet. We had my Uncle Bob's house was right next to... Uh, my best friend Joe's house. And the pitcher's mound was brick. My Uncle Bob just redid everything, and it was brick, so it was perfect. Right across the street, we put the the chair for the strike zone, and right behind that was a house uh, where a couple girls that we knew lived, and her father was... Like a landscaper extraordinaire, and kept his lawn like perfect, and it was hedges. You said hedges, and bang! I immediately thought of Mr. Norat, and we would be, you know, if a pitch got away from us, it would go into the hedges, and we'd have to go into the hedges to. He, they hated us oh, yeah. when we played wiffle ball there, but we had it was a great field. Dead center, there was a cherry tree in the back of my uncle Bob's house. If you hit that on a fly, it was a home run. The top of my uncle's house was a home run. The top of Joe's house was a home run. We played automatics, yep. no, no base running. Mm-hmm. So if you caught a ground ball before a certain line, you were out. The, the railings going up the front steps were the foul poles. Mm-hmm. It was perfect. perfect. And Charlie Angerspeck, God rest his soul, would sit on his front steps and watch every single game. He, he used to tell me when, when we got older and we stopped playing, he was bored. He had nothing to watch anymore. Was this an older gentleman? Yes. Okay. He, he watched our telephone yep. pole to telephone pole football games, touch. When it snowed, we used to play tackle on the street. 
I remember we got a blizzard one year. There were two foot, three foot snow drifts, and we just tackle each other into the snow. Drifts. We used to do that at, right on my corner. We used to jump over. We used to play like goal line and jump over yes, the snow pile. Goal line. We used mm-hmm. to play goal line with like those stupid Rydell helmets that used to buy at Toys R Us. Mm-hmm. And my my friends Joe and Frank had the cowboy helmets, and me and my brother had the giant helmets. I had an Eagles one with the oh, with boy. the with the single wing, with the <laughs> yeah. Roger Ruzek helmet. <laughs> nice, but. You know, that's that's the stuff you did. You just got outside. I'm glad we went on this tangent, man. This is bringing back so many good memories. Let me give you one more. I'll, I got one more okay. before I forget. Go for Brian it. Sanborn, who I always bring up on the mm-hmm. show, the the big Buffalo Bills and Sabres and, you know, big-time sports fan, also a St. John's fan and a St. John's grad. We're playing touch on that same field, and my cousin Mark's car was <laughs> parked over there, and Brian... <laughs> Brian went out for a pass and knocked off his side mirror. <laughs> his, his his driver's side mirror came off, and we we kind of pulled a Tommy Boy. I think it was a little Omega. Do you remember the Omega car? Mm-hmm. If you if you Google it, you'll see it. And maybe I'll Google one and put I had it a friend who on had our, one when on I was our in high Facebook school. page. Yeah, but. We kind of Tommy Boy rigged it, so when he opened the car door, it would just fall off. And ooh, what'd you what'd do? you do? <laughs> but we had to fess up, and we had to tell him. But Don too, when we played, I brought up the roots on my parents' side yard because we somebody tackled Don, and that root went like he he fell like the middle of his back fell right Caught on him the right in the of bad the root, spot. and he just screams and goes, "Oh my vertebrae!" Dude, so many good memories. Go the, ahead. I, I, I may have brought this up here before, and I know I brought it up with Doug back in the day when we talked about these things. My house was the third one where the, my street went down and then curved and went around up the hill. Mm-hmm. My house was the third one on the street. Uh, there was then My next door neighbor was probably a lady in her 60s, lived there you know, alone, had children, grandchildren. She was like grandma. And then the people on the end were a family that was you know a little bit younger than, than my parents, and their kids were like... They were like 10 and 8 when I was 17. So this is how we're talking. And the lady in the middle, she knew she had me on one side, the Bukarskis on the other, and then other kids. She put plexiglass windows in her back, like, screened-in porch thing. Her yard was so perfect for home run derby because she had, like, a four or five-foot-high, like, it's not like chicken wire, but you know those fences that are, like, just kind of wire fence. Mm-hmm. She had one of those along the back of her yard, and her yard was probably because it came in where the hill curve came in. It was probably 50, 60 yards tops, you know, 150 feet, which uh-huh. you can hit a home run in wiffle ball when you're yeah, 12. Yeah. She had, and then the hill came down like it was perfect. It was like hitting onto the hill at the Little League Stadium in, in Williamsport. And she was like, when I'm not home, you know, if you break something, let me know. She would totally let us play in her yard because she knew we loved it and we had she had the perfect yard for it. Nobody would do that now. No. Like, absolutely not. That's a great name. And she was also the kind of person that like your parents would trust you when she gave you like homemade candy or something for Halloween. Like your parents could trust you didn't put razor blades or cyanide in it. <laughs> Which again, I don't think you can do these days with anybody. No. But it was perfect. And we would play home run derby there, you know, once in a while just with the big giant red Captain Caveman conga wiffle ball bat and wiffle balls and just crank them into the woods. Yeah, I, I got to give my Uncle Bob and my Aunt Lucille a lot of credit, too, because we he's big about his grass in his yard, too. And, 
you know, we kind of ran all over it and he kind of let it happen. Back then he was working, so he didn't really see it. Yeah. Uh, so it was better that way. But I, I'm sure he was extremely thrilled when we were done with our wiffle ball careers. Um, <coughs> thinking about having a little get together, maybe some beers, some some barbecue. And it sounds like a good idea to get some permission slips from everybody. I also, I was the one that had the swimming pool because mm-hmm. I had the because of where my house was on the hill, I had the longest yard. Right. I had a swimming pool, so... Burt Reynolds. <laughs> we also would play a lot of fake water polo uh-huh. with someone guarding my deck, nice. you know, behind the ladder. So it was like, we, we, we made things up. I'll give you another one. I don't know why, I don't know how we came up with this. We took a wiffle ball bat. The top of it broke off. So... We Are were, we talking one of the, the pencil-thin yellow? Yes. Now, you know I grew up the next town over from the Wiffle Ball factory. I did not know that. Uh, yeah, it's in Shelton, Connecticut. It's across the river from where I grew up in Seymour. We used to go there and buy tons of Wiffle yeah. Balls for discount prices. Yeah. But anyway, go yeah. ahead. We'd have to trek up to yeah. Route 18 and see if anybody had them because everybody was playing yeah. back then. But top came off. So we're sitting at the picnic table, Joe's picnic table, which was our summertime place to be. You wake up and you go right to Joe's picnic table. He'll, he'll wake up and come outside and be there. So I think it was his brother Frank who came up with this. We stuffed the wiffle ball bat with wet newspaper, okay, to weight it down. Mm-hmm. And then what we used to do is we either used a super pinky or... I thought that's where you're going with it. Or a tennis ball, and we would play fast pitch on the same wiffle ball field. Now... If you connected with a super pinky, <laughs> it, it wasn't Ch- coming back. Chances are, like, the, Leonard, uh, no, Franzen Avenue, where we used to play, where the, where the wiffle, it is slanted like this. So if you're a lefty and you're in the batter's box and we're playing fast pitch with this paper mache bat and you foul one down the street, guess what? You're sprinting all the way down about three football fields to Leonard Dean, <laughs> where Leonard Dean and Franzen meet. To get that ball Because back. it was straight downhill? Straight downhill. And super pinkies, especially. Tennis balls were a little easier, but you know super pinkies. Yeah, those things go. They, they it, can hit anything and, and take off. We did not break a window, though. My friend Joe's mom and my and dad, and when he was around, God bless his soul, too, uh, and my aunt's house, they had those big, huge living room windows. I had one in my house, too. Yeah. With Never broke anything. Nope. We could have, and I think one or two times the ball did hit. You fouled one off and you got nervous. Wow. I mean, when you hit a line drive, you were just like, oh, my God, I hit it. Oh, my God, where's it going to (laughs) hit? So, This is childhood that people are missing out on these days. This is sad to me. It is. We were inventors. We innovated that bat. You know, we we made a paper mache weighted wiffle ball bat to play fast pitch with. I'm not taking credit for it. Yeah, my like I said, my group of friends and I growing up, the Sandlot could have been about us, uh, in a different capacity. But I mean, we had, you well, who know, do, who do we have? We had Joe, we had Frank, we had my brother Bill, we had Doug, we had Rhett, we had Brian Sanborn, we had Donnie Smucko, uh, and then a bunch of other kids <laughs> we just used to meet at Leonard Dean. There were just so many kids in our area, in our neighborhood, the Calbers when they moved in. I mean, we could field a baseball team with a bench. We had, we had <laughs> me, I, you know, I was an only child. My friend Nick up the hill, 
this other kid, Rob, Rob Beaver, that lived up the hill for a while. My buddy Sam and his little brother at the end of my street. That's five. Uh, Billy and his brother Gary and DJ and Ryan lived on the other street. That was nine. Um, the three McDermott's, my buddies Tim, Brian, and Justin, lived. They lived on the other side of the field and then moved a little bit Sounds down like the street. Sounds like a sitcom. The yeah. three McDermott's. Three McDermott's. They lived. They lived on the other side of the field and then moved down the street a little further. So, like, you know, that's twelve. All the littler kids in the neighborhood, we could play. You'd have to match up for you know. You can't put a five-year-old kid on a team and you know, he's facing a twelve-year-old, but we could match up seven for seven, mm-hmm. eight for eight on a good mm-hmm. day in baseball. We would have runs down at Leonard Dean on the small baskets or the big baskets, literally from the time school let out <coughs> until me. until it was dark, like yeah. until we couldn't see the rim. Mm-hmm. We would just not stop playing. It's not like that. We anymore. would do that, and then we'd I'll hang drive out in front of the streetlight in front of my house. Yeah, I'll drive down, and we played kick the can. We played hide and go seek. We yeah. played you know, all the stupid games at night that little kids play, but. Army with all our toy guns that you can't use anymore. I'll drive by Leonard. Yeah. We used to use sticks. We didn't even buy guns. It was just a stick that looked like a gun. We used to use super pinky balls as grenades. Nice. (laughs) You could jump on it and not hurt yourself. Right. Um, But yeah, I mean, I'll drive by Leonard Dean. No one's there. It's a beautiful summer day, beautiful spring day. Mm -hmm. No one's there. And it's after school. And I, I get upset. Because you, you couldn't get on the court to play when I was growing up. I got next, and then there were two or three other teams, or two or three other guys behind you that had next. Yep. So It's like a it, beer pong list at a frat party. Yeah, it's just sad. It's sad. And, you know, I know we wanted to get into some NFL talk, but... Uh, we had too much fun with this. We can I know. That, we can do that in two weeks once everything's right. settled. You're, you're going down to Tampa next week. I will be in Tampa next so, week, so we'll be off. On yeah, our, and uh, when you come back, we'll have a uh, bevy a plethora, jefe, of Yankee information. And we can talk some NFL. Brandon Marshall looks like he's a Jet as we tape this. Right. and um, A lot of guys aren't Eagles anymore. No. Shady is now. A lot of cards aren't living at home anymore. Ding. It's Delphi. And um, who went to San Francisco? Darnell Dockett. Darnell Dockett. Darnell Dockett went to San Francisco. So the NFL free agency will be in full swing when you come back in two weeks and we get get underway once again. And we'll also, like I said, Lou will be back from Tampa with, you know, all the big storylines from Yankee camp. So you're going to miss us next week, but uh, I guarantee you haven't listened to all over 200 episodes. So... I know they're dated. You know what I'll do next week? But you can have fun with them. What I'll do next week, if you follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Chris Sheeran Show, um, I'll post a throwback Thursday episode next week. I'll just pick something. It'll probably be probably be relatively old, so it'll probably be you and Joey. Okay. And I'll just throw it up there. I'm like, here's some classic Chris Sheeran Show. Nice. Off the wall. When it was off the wall. (laughs) We'll post a little throwback Thursday on the Facebook for for those who want to go back and listen to something. Who knows what we'll pick? I'm just going to grab one. I won't even listen to it. See, we started with uh, MC Scat Cat today, and we're finishing with a surprise for next Thursday as well. See, we we bring it every week. We keep you coming back. Every week. And be sure to follow this dude <coughs> when he's down at Tampa. Hopefully he's not coughing up a lung for the next Hopefully week. Hopefully this cold that I've been fighting for two weeks will be gone. But, uh, yeah, Lou. We don't uh, have a cough button in here. Lou has it going on. Follow him on Twitter, Lou DePietro, Yes. And uh, look for his stuff on yesnetwork.com when he's down in Tampa. When do you leave? Tomorrow. He leaves tomorrow. Saturday. He's Saturday there. Saturday to Saturday. He's there for a week. So uh, 
if you want to know, if you, you want to be in the know with the New York Yankees, go no further than this gentleman. And by right. the time we come back, Dancing with the Stars will have begun. Oh boy! We can do some. We, Michael Sam is on Dancing with the Stars this year. Every possible joke about his sexual preference and that show has been made. So don't make it on our Facebook or to uh, to us at Twitter because I'll just block you because you're an idiot. But I came up with my perfect Dancing with the Stars lineup based on some of the parameters like, you know how in the real world they always had like the liberal and then the gun-toting redneck and this Of course and that. they did. Well, Dancing with the Stars sort of has that same schematic in general with D-list celebrities. Uh, Charlotte McKinney is on Dancing with the Stars this year too. She is Wouldn't know her if I tripped over. Rather attractive, so I'll be watching that. Um, also, uh, the um, Suzanne Summers is on Dancing with the Stars this year, so that'll be interesting. Anyway, point being... Um, I came up with a perfect, great, crazy, ridiculous D-list celebrity lineup mm-hmm. for Dancing with the Stars, and I want to just pop you with it next week okay. or two weeks from now. All right. So we'll, we'll come up with it. Um, I'm going to say this. It leads off with Charles Barkley and goes downhill. Okay. You have to send me those parameters again so I can come up with mine. Too. Okay. We'll do that in a couple weeks because it'll be – the first week will be – I think it premieres the 16th. All right. So something else to look forward to. Uh, don't forget, as I said, I just mentioned Lou's down in Tampa. So follow him on YesNetwork.com and on Twitter for all the latest Yankees news. Uh, I'll be uh, filling in for Sarah Kustak on Sunday and Tuesday. And then I'm back in studio with the Nets on the 18th and pretty much uh, for the rest of the schedule, uh, especially in April, because Nancy Newman will be back at it with Yankees BPTV. So I will take you uh, the rest of the way with the Nets and uh, hopefully doesn't look that way, but hopefully through a little bit of a playoff run as well. Through late April and early May. It yeah. would be nice if um, got to do some pre and post game shows uh, with Donnie Marshall and Jim Spinarkle again. And I will be doing some studio shows with them uh, in the near future. So that's always nice. Jimmy and Donnie are fantastic people who I learn a lot from every time they're in studio. I ask them questions all the time and they're so gracious with their time to uh, answer them for me. So I learn a lot about basketball when they're here and that's coming up. So hopefully the Nets can get back on the right track against the Suns. And then when I'm at the arena, they could do some damage against the Jazz and Pelicans. And Lou and I, as we said, we'll see you in a couple of weeks until then. It's a New Orleans combo, the old team and the new team. Jasmine Pelicans. There you go. It is. Until then, you guys have a great couple weeks. I don't know why I I was trying to come up with something. Dramatic pause. I was trying to come up with something witty, and I got nothing. I'm spent. Syracuse and all this other stuff. Let me finish this one off. For Chris Sheeran, I'm Lou DiPietro. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to us on iTunes and watch us on YesNetwork.com. Until two weeks from now when we return, have yourself a great remainder of the winter beginning of spring, and whatever else you may enjoy. We'll see you next time. Strong.